a deep dive on an FBI scandal that no one is talking about, a big Hunter Biden update, and what is going on with Arizona's elections. Find out on this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 286 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Monday, November 21st, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman. And I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented an unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, coming up, we have a deep dive on an FBI scandal no one is talking about. We have a big Hunter Biden update. We have a big update on what's going on with the elections in Arizona. But there are a couple of things I need to mention to you first. Have you heard about this new documentary called Died Suddenly? It's a groundbreaking new documentary from the Stu Peters Network, that's S-T-E-W, exposing the truth behind the COVID death jabs. Nationalfile.com has a little article on it, and I need to share it with you. Died Suddenly is a new investigative documentary from Stu Peters and his megaviral Stu Peters Network. It premiered at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on November 21st, exclusively on the Stu Peters Network. The third feature-length documentary film from the Stu Peters Network, Died Suddenly, goes in-depth to expose the depth, to expose the death jab genocide of COVID-19 and its vaccines. And to investigate those behind the carnage that has flipped the world upside down and forever altered the paths of generations yet to come. In the era of COVID jabs, died suddenly has become the most commonly used term in obituaries in vaccinated populations worldwide as mass die-offs take root. Throughout the film, Stu Peters sits down with the victims of COVID jabs and their families, brings to light the hideous and oftentimes lethal side effects of the jabs forced upon humanity by Big Pharma and their government allies, a truth that has been actively suppressed, but the Stu Peters and his network continue 
fighting to expose. Hey, I am down with that struggle. I'm there with these guys. I've been trying to expose as much as I can too. I, uh, like I said earlier in the in the intro, I refused to take the jab and cost me my uh, longest job that I've ever had in my life. Stu Peters, a nationally syndicated TV and radio news host, has been at the forefront of the fight against COVID lockdowns and death jab tyranny, championing the cause of medical autonomy on his national platform, giving a voice to those who, in many cases, have literally lost theirs to Big Pharma. In a post on Gab that included the Die Suddenly film's mega-viral trailer, Stu Peters said, this is the film of our generation. When the trailer was released last month, it went massively viral, breaking through left-wing censors to trend on Twitter thanks to popular demand. In his post, Stu Peters urged his Gab followers to share the film's trailer for the sake of our kids for humanity. All right, now all you got to do, if you want to see this thing, you go to rumble.com and type in Stu Peters Network, and it will come up. And Stu is spelled S-T-E-W. Died suddenly. I was in a group text with um, one of my sons, a couple of my brothers, a friend of ours last night. And my son said, I'm watching Died Suddenly, and I'm losing my mind. Um, I have watched the trailer, the four-minute trailer. I haven't watched the whole thing yet. I've watched the four-minute trailer. And it's horrifying. And you need to see it. And I have reached out to Stu Peters, going to try to get him on the show. All right, now, uh, the postmillennial.com has the story. A lot of other people have the story also. Wife of Trump special counsel produced Michelle Obama documentary, donated thousands to Biden. On Friday, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced Jack Smith, a veteran career prosecutor, would serve as a special counsel to lead the ongoing investigations into Donald Trump's into Donald Trump being conducted by Biden's Justice Department. And on Monday, records show Smith's wife, Kathy Chavigny, is a high-dollar donor to Joe Biden and contributed to various high-profile Democrat efforts. On Twitter, Henry Rogers tweeted a screen grab showing that Katie Chavigny through her production company, Big Mouth Productions, gave $2,000 to the Biden for President campaign in 2020. Chavigny also gave to anti-Semitic squad member and congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. How about that? Over on Getter, journalist Paul Sperry wrote, Breaking FEC records reveal the wife of the supposedly impartial special, special counsel Biden Attorney General Merrick Garland tapped to investigate Trump, donated at least $2,000 to Joe Biden's presidential campaign in 2020. Katie Chavigny, the wife of newly appointed special counsel Jack Smith, who gave money to Democrat Representative Rashida Tlaib, 
the Islamist member of the radical squad who said of Trump, we're going to impeach the blankety-blank-blank. Over on IMDb, Katie is listed as producer of the Michelle Obama documentary called Becoming. On Friday, Merrick Garland said of her husband, Jack Smith, and I quote, I signed an order appointing Jack Smith to serve as special counsel. The order authorizes him to continue the ongoing investigation into both of the matters that I've just described and to prosecute any federal crimes that may arise from those investigations. Mr. Smith is a veteran career prosecutor. The move came only three days after Trump announced he would be running for president in 2024. So you got that. All right. Now, next. The great Julie Kelly has a short article about Jen Psaki entitled Jen Psaki, Investigations for Thee, but not for me. And she says, former White House Press Secretary Jennifer Psaki, much like her old boss, is a big fan of investigations from her perch at the podium and the James S. Brady press briefing room. Jen Psaki routinely endorsed criminal, civil, and congressional inquiries into the events of January 6th and warned the individuals targeted, including Donald Trump and his former aides, that they must comply with a legal process. A reporter asked Jen Psaki during their, her first briefing whether Joe Biden believed Trump should be held accountable for the Capitol insurrection on January 6th. Calling the four-hour disturbance that afternoon an horrific event, Jen Psaki said Joe Biden has spoken with lawmakers about how to proceed. She announced January 21st, 2021, He is going to leave it to members of Congress to carry out their constitutional duty and determine what the path forward is. Jen Psaki later announced Biden would not extend executive privilege to his predecessor related to the January 6th Select Committee's inquisition giving investigators carte blanche access to all of Trump's records for most of 2020. Most of which had nothing to do with January 6th. In September 2021, Jen Psaki said, we are, we have been working closely with congressional committees and others as they work to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. An incredibly dark day in our democracy. Of course, we're not a democracy, but she doesn't care. She's probably too ignorant to realize that. Julie Kelly continues, and anyone who defied congressional subpoenas, Jen Psaki noted, could face uh, criminal charges. But Jen Psaki, unsurprisingly, is taking a different approach now that she's a defendant in a sprawling civil lawsuit seeking to uncover the federal government's deep collaboration with big tech to suppress free speech and promote Joe Biden's political interests. Jen Psaki is one of more than five dozen current 
and former federal officials, including Biden, Fauci, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, being sued by the states of Missouri and Louisiana for violating the First Amendment rights of American citizens. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure a number of other states kind of joined in. Pretty sure the state I live in, Arkansas, did. I think I saw that the other day. Anyway, the complaint reads thusly. Having threatened and cajoled social media platforms for years to censor viewpoints and speakers disfavored by the left, senior government officials and the executive branch have moved into a phase of open collusion with social media companies to suppress disfavored speakers disfavored speakers, viewpoints, and content on social media platforms under the Orwellian guise of halting so-called disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. Under the First Amendment, the federal government should play no role in policing private speech or picking winners and losers in the marketplace of ideas, but that is what federal officials are doing on a massive scale the full scope and impact of which is yet to be determined. Now, the lawsuit cited numerous occasions when Jen Psaki gloated about the White House's partnership with social media platforms to ban content contradictory to the official narrative on COVID-19 of vaccines. For example, during a July 2021 press briefing with Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, Jen Psaki publicly urged Facebook to deplatform accounts she considered purveyors of health misinformation, an alleged scourge that Murthy described as an urgent public health threat. Jen Psaki made her expectations quite clear. She bragged, we engage with social media companies regularly, and they certainly understand what our asks are. A few days later, Facebook banned the accounts Jen Psaki had accused of spreading misinformation in March. Jen Psaki expressed displeasure that Spotify only added a warning label to Joe Rogan's popular podcast featuring guests who questioned the efficacy of COVID mitigation policies, including vaccines. She said there's more that can be done. Now, all of a sudden, Jen Psaki doesn't want to boast about how she strong-armed Silicon Valley to do the regime's bidding, especially under oath. Judge Terry Doughty from the Western District of Louisiana last month ordered Jen Psaki to sit for a deposition, finding that the ex-spokeswoman has personal knowledge about the issue concerning censorship across social media as it related to COVID-19 and ancillary issues of COVID-19. Judge Doughty further concluded that any burden on Saki is outweighed by the need to determine whether free speech has been suppressed. On November 1st, Jen Saki was served with a subpoena, ordering her to appear for a sworn deposition in Arlington, Virginia, near her home. However, Jen Saki says she just doesn't have time. The newly minted MSNBC contributor, Saki, is slated to host her own show on the network starting next year. She is just simply too swamped. 
In a November 3rd motion to quash the subpoena, Jen Psaki's legal team wrote, The burdens of preparing and sitting for any wide-ranging deposition are significant, let alone the deposition of a former senior administration official and imposing that burden on Ms. Psaki. A non-party private citizen is entirely unwarranted on this record. In a separate statement to the court, Jen Psaki claimed that sitting for a deposition in this matter will be extremely burdensome for me. Among other things, I understand that I would need to devote several days to preparing for the deposition as well as attending the deposition itself, and that would be highly disruptive to both my work and my family. Julie Kelly says, you don't say. Jen Psaki's interview would also create a big job for government lawyers who would need to determine which of her conversations or recollections might be subject to executive privilege, according to her legal team. Now, setting aside the laughable hypocrisy of Jen Psaki now invoking her status as a private citizen and former senior official when she offered no such consideration to Donald Trump, and further noting the hollowness of her complaints that a deposition would be far too time-consuming, the notion that somehow she is entitled to executive privilege, but a former president and his top aides, including legal counsel, are not, is astonishing. Further... Jen Psaki's lawyers warned they will fight the production of any documents and communications that relate to any member of the White House communications team or any other federal official communicating with social media platforms about content on those platforms. Funny how Psaki had no similar objection when she announced in October 2021 that the White House had ordered the transfer of thousands of Trump's official records to the January 6th Select Committee. Saki's lawyers attempted to bypass Judge Dowdy. They filed a motion to quash the subpoena in the Eastern District of Virginia, where Saki lives and likely will sit for the deposition. But the Virginia judge wasn't having any part of it. Don't you, don't you love it when a judge just won't have it? Aren't there times in your life when you wish you could say, I just won't have any of that? The judge in Virginia ordered the matter returned to the Louisiana court where the lawsuit originated. In other words, the judge told Jen Psaki to circle back. (laughs) Her lawyers immediately filed another motion to halt her deposition. On Monday afternoon, Judge Dowdy denied her second motion to quash, accusing Saki of making an end run around this court's prior ruling. Judge Dowdy also mocked Saki's argument that she's too busy, she means too important, of course, to be bothered with legal matters. The judge wrote, Were the court to find Saki had an undue burden here, every person subject to a deposition subpoena would have grounds to quash. Preparing for and giving a deposition is part of the normal process for every person subpoenaed for a deposition. It is not an undue burden. Now, it looks like Saki has run out of options to avoid her scheduled December 8th video-recorded deposition, which, by the way, Saki wants under seal. Lawyers representing the eight officials ordered to be deposed asked Judge Doughty 
to issue a protective order on all recorded interviews insisting that civil servants do not reasonably expect that they will be subjected to video-recorded, publicly disseminated cross-examination about the way that they carried out their job duties. The lawyer said publicly releasing the videos creates a significant likelihood that audiovisual recordings of federal employee depositions taken in this case will be manipulated or abused, and cherry-picked clips will expose the deponents to undue harassment and invasions of privacy. Judge Doughty partially granted their motion, sealing the taped depositions only until the interviews are docketed as discovery evidence before trial. He wrote in a November 17th order, the public's interest in access of this information is especially strong because this matter involves the First Amendment right to freedom of speech. Now, Julie Kelly here says it goes without saying, or should at any rate, that a coordinated effort between the most powerful government officials and the most powerful information providers to silence and punish political dissent is a far greater threat to democracy, as they like to say, than what happened for a few hours on January 6th. And it is beyond ironic that the mouthpiece for a regime proceeding with yet another punitive and vengeful investigation into Donald Trump wants to be shielded from an inquiry into her own misdeeds. Proof once again that accountability, transparency, and consequences only run one way in Washington. That's the great Julie Kelly, political commentator and senior contributor to American Greatness, article entitled Jen Psaki, colon, Investigations for Thee But Not for Me over at amgreatness.com. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, now, still yet to come. we got to get to what's going on with the Arizona's elections. we got to get to the big Hunter Biden update, we've got to get to the deep dive on the FBI scandal that no one is talking about. Right now, though, I just want to say thank you to our advertisers for making it possible for us to do the Doc Washer Show day in and day out into our second year now. If you tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may be having a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought Vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. Including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are in the continental United States. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore payment options. Now, clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. 
All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that begins that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental United States of America. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, now I've been telling you about Patriot Mobile, the only Christian conservative wireless carrier in America. I've been telling you about how now more than ever it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. I've been telling you Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. I've been telling you Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. I've also told you Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. But now there's more. That's right. The way I look at it, it's hard to grasp why anyone would keep voting for record inflation, skyrocketing crime, and open borders. Likewise, why would anyone keep funding the left by sticking with the big carriers? Patriot Mobile wants to make it even easier for you to try their service. All you need to do is give them 60 days to show you why I trust them myself. Right now, this week only, when you try Patriot Mobile for 60 days, you get a free month of service along with free activation. Go to PatriotMobile.com. Make sure, make sure you type in the promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for that free activation and a free month of service. Can't go wrong with it. If you have any questions, you can always call them at 972-PATRIOT. But it's easy to sign up at PatriotMobile.com or 972-PATRIOT, either way. Make sure you use the promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, free month of service along with free activation. Doesn't get any better than that. All right, thanks so much to Mitch Ward at Red River Your Way, and thanks so much for the, to the crew at Patreon Mobile for making it possible for us to do what we do here, day in and day out, now into our second year. All right, we're going to get to the huge FBI scandal nobody's talking about. We're going to get into the 
uh, the breaking news about Hunter Biden. We're going to get into what is going on with the elections in Arizona. There is a lot to talk about on today's show. But a couple of things i got to get to first. Bloomberg. Bloomberg is reporting that federal prosecutors from Manhattan investigated for months the now bankrupt cryptocurrency exchange FTX in connection with a 1970 law designed to prevent money laundering, but it's unclear whether the investigation concluded prior to the firm's recent collapse amid a liquidity crisis. U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York was particularly concerned with whether FTX was in compliance with the Bank Secrecy Act, which is designed to limit the ability of terrorists and money launderers to use the U.S. financial system, according to Bloomberg. Reports that former CEO and major Democrat donor Sam Bankman-Fried had loaned billions of dollars of customers' assets from FTX to his other company, trading house Alameda Research, prompted prosecutors to shift the focus of their investigation, according, again, to anonymous sources talking to Bloomberg. Now, the Manhattan-based U.S. Attorney's Office specializes in financial crimes and has been responsible for the majority of the government's cryptocurrency-related cases in the past decade, according to Bloomberg. Both the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, and Department of Justice, the DOJ, were reportedly months underway with their own investigation when the allegations regarding the misuse of client funds became public, prompting them to expand their probes to include Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO. Regulators from the Bahamas, where FTX is based, announced that they were freezing the exchange's assets on November 10th. Bahamian authorities confirmed they had transferred an undisclosed amount of FTX's digital assets into their own control, according to a press release on November 17th. Investigators are hoping the FTX's new CEO, John J. Ray III, did you know they had a new CEO? I thought Sam was still. Anyway, they got this new CEO there. Investigators are hoping this guy, who was at the helm of energy firm Enron during its historic bankruptcy proceedings, will be able to provide useful information. Yeah, good luck with that. They didn't really keep records, did they? That's what's come out. Anyway. John J. Ray III, in a November 17th court filing, alleged the company failed to keep accurate financial records. Is there an echo in here? And the corporate funds were used to purchase houses and other personal items for those connected to the inner circle at FTX. Mr. Ray wrote the following. He said, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. He said, from compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of controls in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unprecedented. Neither the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York 
nor FTX immediately responded to Daily Caller's requests for comment. So that's uh, John Hugh DeMastri over at uh, Daily Caller, article entitled, Federal Prosecutors Had FTX on Their Radar Months Before Collapse. So he wasn't a lone wolf. He was a lone wolf, right? Just like a lot of those violent shooters. <sighs> Friends, it's jacked up. I'm just here to tell you. It's all jacked up. Now, let me see what's next here. Um, did you hear about the guy who allegedly ran over 25 Los Angeles Sheriff Department recruits a few days ago? They were out uh, exercising, doing, you know, jogging, exercising. Investigators say that his running over these guys was deliberate. He put a lot of them in the hospital. He's been charged with assault with a deadly weapon. And within 24 hours, he's he was released with no bail. Nicholas Gutierrez, released hours after arrest for allegedly plowing into law enforcement recruits in Whittier, California. So uh, the great Robbie Starbuck. In Nashville, said Democrats are lawless. You can literally, literally run over police recruits, and they will let you back on the street almost immediately. Yep, that's what happened. I mean, that's just. But well, that's what you expect in a in a deep blue area like California. Bail. Bail. Nah, Slade, you don't need any bail. All right. Um Joshua Phillip over the EpicTimes.com says an experimental digital dollar is being rolled out by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York with involvement from financial companies, including MasterCard, Citigroup, HSBC Holdings, and Wells Fargo. The 12-week experiment will work as a test for the creation of a centralized bank digital currency in the United States, similar to the digital yuan used by the Chinese regime for their currency. Meanwhile, global leaders and representatives met for the G20 summit in Bali, where they were joined by Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab. Following the meeting, they announced new programs that align with the Great Reset Agenda. This includes new climate change laws, including reparations from wealthy countries to third world countries. I thought laws had to be passed by legislatures, in our case, Congress, and of course, nothing like that was passed. Anyway, you might want to go over to the, the epictimes.com and check it out. Um, there was a live Q&A with uh, Crossroad host Joshua Phillip discussing those stories. Yeah. Uh, 
digital currency. You ever heard that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? Would you want Biden and his gang able to take all the money out of your account because they felt like it? Because that would be the case. I mean, that would be the case. Just so you know. Now, I got to break something to you here. Um, we all know one of the reasons Republican candidates lose sometimes is election fraud. Okay? They're trying to steal it in Arizona even as we speak. They stole 2020 from Trump. I, we, we understand that. But sometimes there's another reason Republican candidates lose. Okay? And Victoria Marshall over the Federalist.com has an article about that that I found to be fascinating, and I knew I needed to share it with you. Now, again, I have not forgotten about this big FBI scandal. I have not forgotten about the Hunter Biden update, and I haven't forgotten about the update on what's going on with the Arizona elections, but I, I, gotta, I just got a couple of things I got to share with you first. Victoria Marshall over the Federalist.com article entitled The GOP's Political Consultant Problem. And she said, if there's one thing the 2022 midterms made clear, it's that Democrats have a huge ground game advantage over Republicans. Whether it's a month of harvesting and curing ballots thanks to early voting or going door-to-door filling out ballots for huge swaths of unlikely voters, Democrats know that turning out ballots is more important than turning out votes. They don't have to rely on generating traditional Election Day enthusiasm through distributing campaign mailers or running TV ads. Republicans, however, still insist on investing the majority of their campaign funds into these antiquated or pre-2020 methods, and they're showing no signs of stopping. Why? Blame the political consultant class. I got some thoughts on that here in a minute. For years, millions of dollars in grassroots donations have gone to prop up Republican candidates only to end up in the pockets of the political consultant class. Back during the 2012 presidential election, 10 of the consulting firms behind the effort to get Mitt Romney to the White House grossed a combined one billion with a B dollars in the process. In the 2014 election cycle, the same consultants reaped more than $19.6 billion. Okay, I'm sorry. Excuse me? They got a combined $1 billion the year Mitt Romney was on the ballot in 2012. And then two years later, they got $19.6 billion? Do you realize how much of an increase that is in two years? I'm sorry. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. Um, 
I mean, the math of that is staggering. And as you probably know by now, I ain't one much for all that fancy book learning. But that's that's just that's just uh Well, it reminds me of an old song, Insane in the Membrane. Anyway, former Kansas Congressman Tim Hulescamp told the Federalist big money campaign consultants on the GOP side are in the business of losing. Investing in the ground game makes campaign consultants almost no money. Arguably, it costs them money. On the other hand, hundreds of millions of ads put 10 to 15% of that total in hand of the media buyers slash consultants, and upwards of 30 to 50% of campaign mailers typically are profit. Now, in the 2020 election cycle, for example, four Republican House candidates in dead-end campaigns raised over $42 million combined that drew less than 30% of the vote in each of their races. A lot of that money went to pay consultants. Republican House candidate Kimberly Classic in Maryland raised more than $8 million in her bid to oust the popular Democrat incumbent in her district. A single consulting firm took almost half of that $8 million, and Classic lost her race by almost 50 points. Again, former Kansas Congressman Tim Hulescamp said, when the incentive is on the money-making, it's time for Republicans to re-examine the consulting class establishment that's been running Republican Party politics. Axiom, one of the top GOP consulting firms, grossed nearly $50 million the past federal election cycle, despite having a success rate of only 55% in both the primaries and the general, according to the FEC. In just one example, in Arizona's Republican primary for U.S. Senate, Blake Masters defeated Jim Lamon by a resounding 12 points after Lamon spent over $13.8 million on Axiom on the local level. Republican Lauren Davis ran for county judge in Dallas County, Texas. After spending more than a million dollars, roughly 600000 of which went to Axiom, she lost by 25 points. Such bleak numbers are simply ignored by the political consulting class, which functions as a revolving door between congressional staff, GOP leadership packs, and media consultants. Any Republican seeking higher office is immediately told which consulting firms and strategists he should hire within the GOP's insider network. Back in 2013, conservative radio host Rush Limbaugh characterized the GOP consultant class as a very close-knit, closed group who are making filthy amounts of money, $150 million a campaign, whether the candidate wins or loses. Rush said, and they're all moderates. None of them are really conservative. Because there is a financial incentive for consultants to keep pushing the same strategies they've used for 40 years, it will be incredibly hard for Republicans to start investing in the necessary resources to establish an effective ground game 
that rivals their Democrat opponents. Again, former Congressman Tim Hulescamp says, there are plenty of examples where folks might win with just a bunch of media ads, but in almost all cases, if it's in a competitive race, that's not matched or exceeded by a true ground game, you don't win. There's no money to be made in that. Hulescamp's comments are echoed by Sean Steele, husband of Representative Michelle Steele, Republican of California, who was just reelected in a district that Biden carried by six points in 2020. Steele told Breitbart News, it's a different game because of ballot harvesting. Since that's the rule in California, you have to adapt or die. Steele's campaign collected votes in her immigrant-heavy district by ballot harvesting in Korean and Vietnamese churches. She won her race by more than six points. So then they have an embedded tweet here from the great Sean Davis at the Federalist. He says, call me crazy, but maybe maybe Republican leaders and consultants should stop raising money just to set it on fire in TV ads and start building machines and infrastructure to rival what Democrats have done most recently in Georgia and Arizona and previously in states like Pennsylvania and Michigan. So it's not just the consulting class's failure to harvest ballots that's drawing the ire of grassroots activists, but also the messaging they're giving candidates. On a media call the day after the election, Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America President Marjorie Dannenfelder, pardon me, that's Dannenfelser, told reporters that Republican candidates such as Senate hopeful Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania erroneously listened to GOP consultants who told them to back off on talking about abortion in the wake of the Dobbs decision because they shied away from the topic, Dan and Felser suggested. They let their opponents define the debate and characterize them as anti-woman. Compare this to the Republican Senate candidates, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, North Carolina Senator-elect Ted Budd, and Ohio Senator-elect J.D. Vance, who exposed their opponents as extremists who support abortion on demand without limits in contrast to a well-articulated pro-life position. All three of those guys won their races. Unfortunately, with Republican pundits pinning the GOP's lackluster midterm showing on a lack of so-called quality candidates, and Trump, you know, when in doubt, always blame Orange Man, the GOP will fail to learn the true lesson of the 2022 midterms, which is stop relying on the establishment-backed consulting class that's addicted to losing. As former Democrat pollster Pat Cadell put it nearly a decade ago, so the people who lost for you before and are willing to lose as long as they can preserve their situation are now in charge of your great hopes for 2014. Oh, just change 2014 to 2024. That's a remarkable article over the Federalist.com, Victoria Marshall. It's entitled The GOP's Political Consultant Problem. And I'm delighted to uh, to, to be able to share it with you. It's, it's an honor. All right, next, coming up, we're going to finally get to the big FBI scandal that nobody's talking about. Going to finally get to the Hunter Biden update. 
and going to finally get to the update on Arizona's elections. But first, let me just mention something to you because I have become aware of the best kept secret in American healthcare. Been talking about it for years. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Having blood sugar issues? Experiencing dizziness, vertigo, psoriasis, migraines? Well, now the Arkansas Cervical Center may be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. And if it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, hay fever went away. It's never come back. The migraines went away, never came back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, blood sugar issues, psoriasis, migraines for that matter, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people that we know. Please call them to find out if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. Or just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Now, if you're outside central Arkansas, and you wish you were close enough that you could go see these folks, Go to that website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says, Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thanks so much to Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree. They are advertisers, they are our friends, they are doctors, and they've helped us out so much. All right, now, who remembers... Who remembers Hunter Biden's laptop? Who remembers the letter that 51 former intelligence, U.S. intelligence People signed saying it had all the classic marks of Russian disinformation. Remember all that? So, um, you, you know they knew they were lying, right? I mean, they, they knew they were lying. But kind of reminds me, kind of reminds me of when Harry Reid in 2012 went on the Senate floor and said that his, uh, his fellow 
his co-religionist Mitt Romney didn't pay his taxes. Right? You remember that? After the election that Mitt Romney lost to Obama, somebody pointed out to Harry Reid that he, of course, did pay his taxes and that Harry Reid had been lying, and Harry Reid said, well, he lost, didn't he? Got it? So, I think that's what's going on here. You know? I mean, that, I mean, these guys, they knew they were lying. They had to know they were lying. So, let me see if you remember. I've got kind of a montage. Now, the update is that uh, CBS's uh, premier investigative reporter, Catherine Herridge, has announced that CBS has confirmed that the Hunter Biden laptop is the real deal. This is 769 days after the New York Post broke the story. But anyway, here is a montage of a lot of people in the mainstream media saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was bogus. Obviously, uh, we're not going with the uh, New York Post story uh, right now on Hunter Biden. This Now that, that was Jeff Zucker at CNN. I think it's Project Veritas that, that broke that. That was internal. That wasn't supposed to see the light of day. Anyway, there's more. This is really one of the stupidest October surprises I've ever seen. It helps to really. Joe Scarborough, MSNBC, the morning joke, as Mark Levin calls him. We view this as storytelling, not so much as news coverage, but as political entertainment. That was the potato. Brian Stelter used to be on TV. NPR explained, we don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories. Who even. Okay, that was Tucker Carlson slamming NPR for deciding not to cover the story, right? Who even thought to make that story up? It's a story that many intelligence experts say has all the hallmarks of a foreign interference campaign. It looks like it's tied to Vladimir Putin in Moscow. This is a Russian intelligence disinformation campaign. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Russian intelligence. Rudy Giuliani was not fed passively Russian disinformation. He ordered it off the menu. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. And he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking he's course not, he is no. honestly. we should note hunter biden isn't running for president that argument has been debunked there is no evidence that joe biden did anything wrong for all we know these emails are made up it just lacks credibility okay i would love question. if you guys would start what doing that digging and start doing that verification no we're not going to do your work for you character matters it matters telling the truth matters being a good person matters <laughs> That's Van Jones, CNN, right there at the end, getting all all teared up about character matters. Clearly, he doesn't believe that. If he thought character matters, there's nowhere in the world he would have voted for the uh, the pedophile Joe Biden, the great uh, multiple 
fondler of little girls, Joe Biden. Never would have done it. Never would have done it. Now, let's take a look. Catherine Harridge, for many years, widely respected investigative reporter at Fox News. And a few years ago, she moved over to CBS. And now is a widely respected investigative reporter at CBS. CBS, a network that for some reason waited 769 days after the New York Post wrote the story about Hunter's email, uh, Hunter's um, laptop. Now, why CBS didn't verify the laptop was legit before the 2020 presidential election? I don't know. Why they didn't admit Hunter Biden's laptop was legit before the 2022 midterms? I don't know. You know what just dawned on me? Because I've listened to this thing. I watched the video. I'm getting ready to play it for you. There's a lot of really salacious stuff on Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, on Hunter Biden's laptop, there's 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 video evidence of him with underage females. I mean, clearly, obviously underage, and somehow that doesn't make it into CBS's story. I know you're shocked. Why on earth would they have left that out? There's evidence of all kinds of crimes. I know you're shocked. Why would they have left that out? But as good an investigative reporter as Catherine Herridge is, it seems to me that in the process of verifying, yep, as a matter of fact, it is Hunter's laptop. Maybe you could talk about why the intelligence community was so desperate to deny that it was Hunter Biden's laptop in the lead-up to um, Donald Trump's Campaign for re-election in 2020. Huh? Maybe that would be a good idea. But I don't think CBS is going to do that, do you? You know what? It reminds me of Amy Robach over at ABC. Um, And that video that came out of her... Uh, of her talking about how she 
had everything on Epstein. She had Epstein. She had Bill Clinton, the connection there. Uh, she took years trying to get these scared female victims to come forward. And they had everything. They had the whole story. Epstein, Bill Clinton, the whole thing. And then the network refused to let her run it. Remember that? I wonder if Catherine Herridge has anything that uh, her editors at CBS have refused to let her report on. You know? Because when you watch this video, like a six or seven minute video of Catherine Herridge reporting on the CBS morning show, you get the impression that, wow, you know, she she really did some thorough digging here and, and you know, really dug deep. But she doesn't really talk much about what's actually on the, the laptop or why the Biden regime and the intel community were so desperate to deny it. Well, St. Holmes... That's troubling. That's troubling. So let me uh, let me share this with you. Let's see what you think. And as Republicans take control of the House, Hunter Biden, the president's son, will be a target for investigations. And that means data from a laptop reported to belong to Biden could be crucial to the investigatory process. CBS News has obtained its data, not through a third party or political operative, but directly from the source who told us they provided it to the FBI under subpoena. And we commissioned an independent forensic review to determine its authenticity okay why didn't you do that october 2020 why did you wait until november 2022 after two election cycles senior investigative correspondent katherine harris joins us now with what we found katherine i'm very interested good morning Good morning, Tony. These House Republican investigations are coming, and that could be a challenge for the White House as we head into 2023 and 2024. The laptop data we had analyzed showed no evidence it was faked or tampered with. There it is. Not only no evidence that the laptop was fake, but no evidence that the laptop was even tampered with. Digital forensic investigator Mark Lanterman was previously a member of a Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force. There was one thing that got my attention, and that was a voicemail. Dad, I called and told you I love you. I love you more than the whole world, pal. That voicemail, apparently from Joe Biden during his son Hunter's drug addiction, is one of many findings Lanterman used to authenticate what is believed to be Hunter Biden's laptop data. You're confident, based on your analysis, this is Hunter Biden's data and that it's real. Yes. This Delaware computer shop is where the laptop's backstory begins. Their records indicate in April 2019, Hunter Biden took his laptop in for repair, but never paid. After 90 days, the store considered it abandoned. Then in December 2019, the FBI subpoenaed the store's owner to turn over the computer and a...
portable drive of its data. Whatever happened to Hunter? During the 2020 election, versions were widely shared by Republican operatives, including Rudy Giuliani. We have the entire hard drive. But questions were raised about whether additional files were added to those versions. Then-candidate Biden labeled the laptop controversy disinformation. What this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. CBS News approached the lawyer for the computer repair shop owner to cut through the noise. We've always had... Uh, one clean copy. And obtained a copy of what he says they provided the FBI under subpoena. Uh, why did you wait over two years to do this? She's not going to say, is she? Then we went to Minneapolis for an independent analysis. Were you paid by CBS or anyone else to analyze the data? No. No. I wouldn't want anyone to think that someone bought our opinion. Why not? What difference does it make? We don't care about that. What we want to know is why aren't you telling what's on the computer and why did you wait over two years? That's what we want to know. But see, CBS is trusting in the relative ignorance of the average CBS television viewer, most of whom it will not occur to ask these questions. Uh, I'm just telling you. Around the corner, it'll lead you to what we call our imaging room. Lanterman and his son, Sean, both digital forensic experts, recovered images of credit cards, a driver's license, social security number. Just the sheer volume of what we're dealing with, it would be difficult, uh, if not impossible, to fabricate. And explained how files built up over years. It accumulated over time, which is consistent with normal, everyday use of a computer. There's some reporting about folders being added. We have read these um, articles. We don't see that. So I believe that that's because we have a more pristine copy. The laptop and its contents have fueled Republican interest in Hunter Biden's business ventures. Hunter Biden was working with Chinese nationals. They say this May 2017 email outlining a proposed business deal with a Chinese energy firm is one reason why they have questions about whether President Biden benefited. We're prepared to subpoena Hunter Biden. We would certainly hope that he would want to come before the committee and clear his name. Two of Hunter Biden's former business partners, including Tony Bobolinsky, who received the email, told CBS News the 10 held by H for the big guy is shorthand for 10 percent held by Hunter for his father. After the email became public in 2020, the author of the email told The Wall Street Journal Joe Biden was not involved. The author has not responded to CBS News's questions. Mr. Biden has consistently denied knowledge of his son's work or financially benefiting from it. I've never spoken to my son Last month, Senator Chuck Grassley wrote this letter alleging bank records and financial data showed that Hunter Biden and the president's brother profited from a $5 million wire from a company connected to CEFC, the Chinese energy firm. They're going to look at every part of the Joe Biden administration. Doug High is a Republican strategist. A lot of this is also going to be aggressive on Hunter specifically. We're going to hear a lot about the laptop. Who profited? Was the law broken? Was it not broken? After two years of scrutiny, the laptop has not produced evidence President Biden directly benefited from his son's business deal. That's a lie. That's a lie. I can't believe she's saying this. 
Let me back it up. Was it not broken? After two years of scrutiny, the laptop has not produced evidence President Biden directly benefited from his son's business deals. So it's a whitewash. Catherine Harridge is in uh, cooperating in a whitewash. Hunter went on Air Force Two with his dad while Joe was vice president to do business deals in China. The laptop hasn't produced evidence that Joe made money off his son's business deals? Are you going to mention Tony Bobolinsky, Catherine? You know, the guy that talked to Hunter a few days before the 2020 election? Or is that off limits because it wasn't on the laptop? If there's dirt there, that will dirty him up. If not, those attacks can backfire. The White House declined to comment. Hunter's lawyer did not address our specific questions about the data or the CBS forensic review, but said there have been multiple attempts to hack, infect, distort, and peddle misinformation regarding Mr. Biden's devices and data. And in no time did any individual, including the IT repair shop owner, Mr. McIsaac, have Mr. Biden's consent to access his computer data or share it with others. The lawyer also referred us to Hunter Biden's memoir, where the president son slammed the despicable opposition that purported to have a laptop belonging to him. Okay, what about the fact that Hunter never paid and never picked it up, and after 90 days, it doesn't belong to him anymore, and the guy who owns a computer repair shop shouldn't care what he wanted done with it? You know? He tried to give the FBI, which a few months later actually subpoenaed it. Oh, well, I didn't want you to give it to law enforcement. Well, maybe you should have paid for it then. Maybe you shouldn't have left it there over 90 days. No evidence that Joe profited from Hunter's business dealings. I can't believe that the great Catherine Herridge investigative reporter, late of Fox, more recently with CBS, would frame a story in that way. We all know 10% for the big guy. You know? What about the email in there where um, Hunter is talking to one of his nieces saying, well, at least... uh, I don't make my kids pay for my bills. Huh? What about that? Remarkable. So when is Catherine Harrods going to uh, interview Tony Bobolinsky? You know? Uh, wait another couple of years for that. Hunter interviewed him before the 2020 election. So you know what it looks like. It looks like CBS is doing the bidding of whatever Democrat wants to get Biden out of the way. That's one possible way of looking at it. But the other way of looking at it 
given the fact that she really soft-pedaled it, is no, no. No, they're not trying to get Biden out of the way. They're trying to get out in front of the Republicans investigating and just saying, oh, that's old news. Yeah, the laptop's real, so what? No evidence Joe profited from Hunter's business deals. Right. It's 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 pitiful. I'm disappointed that Catherine Herridge has sunk to this level. I never thought I would see it. Um, even after she went from Fox to CBS, she has been everything I've seen her do. Uh, a stand-up, no-nonsense, straight-ahead reporter. Just the facts. Well, that uh, reputation is now out the window. And you know, I wonder when her old former fellow employees over at Fox saw this report, I wonder what they thought. Oh, to be a fly on the wall at the break room at Fox when people saw this report from Catherine Herridge. But then, you know, um, Fox doesn't cover everything either. The um, video evidence of Joe Biden publicly molesting little girls in the families of senators who are being sworn in every two years, live on C-SPAN by then-Vice President Joe Biden. Fox had all that and didn't do a thing with it in the lead-up to uh, 2020. So uh, it's not like they can really complain and cast aspersions at Catherine Herridge or CBS for doing the same thing they're doing, right? Now, I need to give you a little bit more. Uh, Law professor Jonathan Turley says the Associated Press appears to have removed its claim that that there's no evidence to suggest that Joe Biden spoke with Hunter about his business dealings. Their article now says there are no indications that the federal investigation involves the president. The problem is that the revision creates a new problem. There is every indication that the federal investigation involves the president. Not only is the president discussed in key emails under investigation, but the grand jury heard testimony that the big guy is Joe Biden. Now, again, I'm just quoting Jonathan Turley here because I've told you I'm not going to call this guy president because he stole it. Not going to do it. Now, Ohio U.S. Representative Jim Jordan and Kentucky U.S. Representative Jim Comer have some thoughts about Hunter and the big guy and the upcoming investigations 
that you can expect. And I don't know if you've been hearing Jim Jordan recently, but he sounds like a guy that's on the warpath anyway. They were talking to Maria Bartiromo over Fox and went like this. 91 days before the midterm election, they raided President Trump's home. And then this week, three days after President Trump announces he's running for president, one day after Mr. Comer did his press conference, guess what? Merrick Garland says, we're going to put in as the special counsel the very individual who was at the Justice Department and was looking for ways to prosecute the people Lois Lerner and Obama's IRS targeted. If that's not a political Justice Department, I don't know what is so this is why we're going to look into this issue and we're going to get to the bottom of everything they've been doing at the politicized doj well you all will have the gavel james comer how do they keep getting away with all of this politicizing are you going to subpoena joe biden are you going to subpoena all of those involved in allowing china and the communist party to get inside the gates of america by paying off certain individuals like the biden family We're going to subpoena whoever the investigation leads us to subpoena. Uh, We're serious about this. We're going to start with the bank records. We need those bank records. You've seen countless emails and text messages where Hunter has complained about having to keep his father up. There's no question that Joe Biden was receiving benefit from Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's only source of income were our adversaries in China and Russia. So this is very concerning. The the American people deserve answers. Uh, We deserve to know if we have a White House that's compromised by China, and that's going to be our priority in the House Oversight Committee. Uh, Don't forget our adversary in Ukraine. (laughs) So Steve Nelson over the New York Post says, he's got this article, CBS confirms Hunter Biden laptop is real 769 days after the Post broke the story. And you might want to take, it's kind of a long article, but it's worth reading. You might want to look over at nypost.com that article from Steve Nelson because it's, it's just ridiculous. It's just patently ridiculous that in doing so, they leave out so much, you know. Now, who remembers when um, Trump sparred with a CBS reporter when he claimed Hunter Biden's laptop was verifiable? Back in, uh, I guess it was uh, shortly before the, the 2020 presidential election when Leslie Stahl, 60 Minutes was running interference for Biden. It went something like this. It's just, I think it's one of the biggest scandals I've ever seen, and you don't cover it. Because you want to talk about... Well, because it can't be verified. You want to talk I'm about insignificant you. things. I'm telling you. Of course it can be verified. Excuse we, me. We they found the laptop. It. Leslie, Leslie. It verified. What can't be verified? The laptop. Why do you say that? Because Even the family hasn't... The family on the laptop, he's gone into hiding for five days. He's gone into hiding. He's preparing for your debate. Oh, it's taken him five days to prepare? I doubt it. I doubt it. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So let's get back to the name call. What does Leslie Stahl have to say now? 
that her own network says, yeah, it's legit. She was mocking Trump. She was laughing at him in disbelief, with derision. It can't be verified. What does she have to say now? Nothing. Radio silence. Nothing at all. Now, I got to tell you something. You know an actor named James Woods? The first time I ever saw him was in that um, that miniseries on TV about the Holocaust in the mid-'70s, a long time ago. James Woods, great actor, real sharp guy, smarter than me. But I was kind of puzzled. He said... Uh, He's out there on Twitter saying the laptop will end this administration. It's going to be bigger than Watergate. These grifters are rotten to the core. Well, I mean, from your lips to God's ears. But with Merrick Garland as Attorney General and Christopher Ray as FBI Director, I, 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 I'm hard-pressed to understand how it's going to end anything. You know, because DOJ and FBI are both totally compromised. I mean, in a normal world, it would end everything. But I just don't know. I just don't know. There have been too many times... I remember the scandal with um, Clinton and Lewinsky. And Rush Limbaugh really thought that Clinton was, you know, on his last legs. He thought he was going to have to resign. And because, you know, in a normal world, that's the way it would have gone down. But Clinton just uh, he doubled down and gave a combative uh, State of the Union address and had all of his cabinet secretaries go out there and lie for him. And so it didn't, uh, it didn't work out that way. So I don't know. I hope James Woods is right. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But it's a, it's a tough one. So I don't know. As this has been the U.S. attorney in Delaware has been doing this long, at least two-year-long investigation and a hunter. But I wish Catherine Herridge would have talked a little bit about what's on that laptop. Hunter with little girls. That's on the laptop. All right, let me let me give you an update what's going on with um with 
trying to stop the steal in Arizona. Okay? Deborah Hine over at amgreatness.com, Arizona AG's office demands answers to voting failures in Maricopa County before election is certified. The Election Integrity Unit of Arizona's Attorney General's Office has opened an inquiry in the Maricopa County's handling of the midterm elections demanding an explanation for the widespread election equipment failures that plagued voting on Election Day and warning that there is evidence of statutory violations. Outgoing Republican Attorney General Mark Brinovich requested a full report due to a plethora of complaints from election workers poll observers, and voters, as well as a comprehensive log of all changes made to printer settings prior to Election Day. Thousands of voters were forced to wait in line for hours only to see their votes repeatedly rejected by the vote tabulators. Voters were forced to either deposit their ballots in boxes that were transferred to downtown Phoenix to be counted or travel to another location to vote only to see their ballots rejected again there for the past week. Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake's campaign has been collecting video testimonials of irregularities that can be used in court. Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright, in a letter to the county's chief civil division attorney Thomas Liddy late Saturday, said these complaints go beyond pure speculation but include firsthand witness accounts, that raised concerns regarding Maricopa County's lawful compliance with Arizona election law. Now, I'm troubled that this attorney who's representing Maricopa County and pushing back and trying to hide their election fraud and irregularities is Thomas Liddy, son of the late great G. Gordon Liddy. That's troubling to me, that a Liddy would be on the wrong side of an issue, but but he is. Anyway, Jennifer Wright, Assistant Attorney General of Arizona, said, based on sworn complaints submitted by election workers employed by Maricopa County, The VOD printers were tested on Monday, November 7th without any apparent problems. Many of those election workers report that despite the successful testing the night before, the tabulators began experiencing problems reading ballots printed by the VOD printers within the first 30 minutes of voting on Tuesday, November 8th. Carrie Lake's campaign suggested on Monday that the Election Day equipment failures could be the result of deliberate sabotage. Carrie Lake War Room tweeted out there on the Twitter saying, they knew our voters would turn out on Election Day. How charitable of us to give them the benefit of the doubt that this was incompetence when it would be so much easier to say it was deliberate sabotage. In the letter, Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright says statements made by both Maricopa County Supervisor Bill Gates and Recorder Stephen Richer, along with information Maricopa County released through official modes of communication, appear to confirm potential statutory violations of Title 16. Ms. Wright said poll workers 
have reported in sworn complaints that they were not trained and or not provided with information on how to execute checkout procedures for e-poll books once a voter gave up and left one malfunctioning polling place for another. The letter continues. Maricopa County appears to have failed to adhere to the statutory guidelines in segregating, counting, tabulating, tallying, and transporting the door three ballots. Maricopa County has admitted that in some voting locations, door three non-tabulated ballots were commingled with tabulated ballots at the voting location. Further, we have received a sworn complaint from one election observer indicating that more than 1,700 door three non-tabulated ballots from one voting location were placed in black duffel bags that were intended to be used for tabulated ballots. The Attorney General's office said it wants answers before Maricopa County submits its final canvas for certification, which is due by November 28th. The letter states these issues relate to Maricopa County's ability to lawfully certify election results. Several Arizona counties, Gila, Yavapai, and Cochise, have reportedly opted to delay certification of their election results due to the Election Day mishaps. Democrat Secretary of State Katie Hobbs has been prematurely declared the winner of the governor's race, but Republican Carrie Lake has refused to concede, arguing thousands of largely Republican voters were disenfranchised on Election Day when the malfunctioning tabulators rejected their ballots. In response to the Attorney General's letter, Carrie Lake told the U.K. Daily Mail she believes she will be Arizona's next governor after the dust settles. She said the way they run elections in Maricopa County is worse than in banana republics around the world. She said, and I'll tell you what, I believe at the end of the day that this will be turned around, and I don't know what the solution will be. But I still believe I will become governor, and we are going to restore honesty to our elections. Bill Gates has claimed that printers at 70 of the county's 223 polling sites produced ballots with ink that was too light to be read by vote-counting machines on Election Day, but a roving attorney who observed the voting process claimed in a memo last week that significantly more than 70 voting centers were affected. Mark Sonnenklar was one of 11 roving attorneys was given the task by the Republican National Committee of observing election processes in Maricopa County on November 8th, according to the Daily Caller. Sonnenklar said that collectively they visited nearly 52% of the county's voting centers and that 72 of the 115 visited centers saw material problems with the tabulators not being able to tabulate ballots, resulting in substantial voter suppression. Here is the quote. Though the memo does not address whether tabulation and printer problems may have occurred at the Maricopa County voting centers that the attorneys did not visit, a significant number of those locations may have seen similar issues given the larger sample size of voting centers visited by the roving attorneys. Now, the attorney stated their findings directly contradict the statements of county election officials that, one, Printer-slash-tabulator issues were limited to only 70 of the 223 voter centers. Two, the printer-slash-tabulator problems were resolved as of 3 p.m. 
and three, the printer-slash-tabulator issues were insignificant in the entire scheme of the election. Sonnenklar, attorney, added, In many cases, the printer-slash-tabulator issues persisted from the beginning of Election Day until the end of Election Day. It seems very clear that the printer-tabulator failures on Election Day at 62.61% of the vote centers observed by 11 roving attorneys and the resulting long lines in a majority of all vote centers led to substantial voter suppression. Oh, wait, 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 I got an update. Carrie Lake issued a statement Monday afternoon praising Attorney General Brinovich for taking the first necessary steps of remedying this assault on our democracy. She said attorneys are working diligently to gather information. Whistleblowers are coming forward, and the curtain is being lifted. That is the great Deb Hine over at amgreatness.com with an update on what's going on in Arizona because it's uh, it's messed up. I'll tell you that much. It is messed up. All right, now, the big FBI scandal that no one is talking about. The great Margot Cleveland over the Federalist.com. Margot Cleveland, I have shared her work with you before. She is the Federalist senior legal correspondent. And she has a new article out entitled, In This Untold Story of Poll Worker Data, Chinese Servers, and scandal, only the FBI knows the truth. And, buddy, this is our deep dive here for this episode of the Doc Washburn Show. But I owe it to you. I absolutely positively owe it to you. She says, developments over the last, two, uh, over the last month in two cases, one criminal and one civil, involving the election management software company, Connec, K-O-N-N-E-C-H, and its CEO, Eugene Yu, reveal the FBI remains mired in malfeasance. A strong language, y'all. She says, either the FBI has abandoned multiple confidential human sources and discarded an 18-month investigation into evidence that Eugene Yu maintained the personal information of tens of thousands of American election workers on a server in China, or the FBI has allowed Yu to be arrested for crimes he did not commit and permitted the innocent American to be branded a felon and a traitor. So it's one or the other. It's a binary choice. She says, while at the point, while at this point, The public cannot tell which scenario is true. The Department of Justice and the FBI know, and their failure either to charge you or provide the L.A. District Attorney's Office with confirmation of the alleged crimes, or to clear him, on the other hand, represents another blot on the disgraced agency's name. Here's what you need to know to understand the brewing scandal. First of all, Connect provides election logistics software. That's right. 
Connick, again, K-O-N-N-E-C-H, is a Michigan corporation founded by Eugene Yu, a Chinese national, but an American citizen. According to court filings, Connick provides governmental entities in the U.S. with an election logistics software product called PollChief, which those governmental entities use to recruit, train, and schedule poll workers coordinate the distribution of equipment and supplies to polling places, and dispatch support personnel to address technical and other issues. The poll chief system requires that workers submit personal identifying information, which is retained by Connick. Because Connick obtains sensitive personal information for election workers, it is bound by contract to safeguard that data, including in some contracts, such as one gener- entered by with the Los Angeles County, by storing the data physically in the United States and not providing individuals outside this country access to that data. Next, True the Vote investigates Connick. True the Vote is a nonprofit headquartered in Texas, describes itself as the nation's leading voters' rights and election integrity organization, Catherine Engelbrecht founded True the Vote. Greg Phillips, former board member, works closely with her. According to Engelbrecht, after 2020, she became interested in the fundamental underpinnings of the nuts and bolts of staging and deploying an election cycle. So, True the Vote began to file open records requests with counties and discover that Connick provided the poll chief software to scores of municipalities via contracts that required safeguarding of the election workers' data. Next, True the Vote claims contact data maintained on Chinese server. Yeah, this is bad. Engelbrecht claimed she asked Phillips to take a deeper dive doing some basic tests around the very basic security of the software itself and how it was managing the highly private and secure or sensitive data it was responsible for. Phillips claims True the Vote used some open-source tools, specifically one called Binary Edge, and soon realized that one particular IP address related to all of the software. Phillips further claims that all the information on the poll chief software is rolled into a web page. For instance, for Fairfax County, Virginia, the website would be voteforfairfax.com. Or for Boston, voteforboston.com. These web pages were all over the country, according to Phillips. And what Binary Edge does, he claims, is not only tells you what URLs resolved there, but also tells you where it lives. Now, Phillips claims... He tracked down the server and discovered it lives on the main unicorn backbone in China. True the Vote claims data from the company and the Connect apps URLs live there too. Oh boy. Next, we find out about the January 2021 meeting with Confidential Human Source in Dallas. In addition to discovering the URLs purportedly living, on a server in Dallas, Phillips says an individual named Mike Hassan 
contacted him about data Hassan claimed to have accessed from an unsecured server in China. Phillips further claims Hassan approached through the vote with his discovery, although Phillips portrayed the source of the China server data differently during a podcast, claiming, quote, it came to me from some of my analysts, unquote. Well, maybe Hassan was one of his analysts, right? It's not necessarily a contradiction there. Anyway. Phillips testified in court proceedings he met with Hassan and another unnamed third party in a Dallas hotel January 2021, and that during that meeting, Hassan hooked his laptop to a TV screen and displayed enormous amounts of data. He was told 350 terabytes. On a server located in China, some of it including sensitive data on American poll workers, Among other data, Phillips claimed there are 43,000 records of Los Angeles poll workers that are on this list of data found on the China server. Next, DNI and FBI provided evidence related to Connick. Phillips maintains that the morning after the meeting with Hassan and another unnamed individual in Dallas, Phillips drove to Houston to meet Engelbrecht. Believing the data proved significant from a national security perspective, they immediately made a complaint to the DNI, or the Director of National Intelligence. Then on Monday, they filed a formal complaint with the FBI. Now, Phillips claims he provided the FBI with the data he and True the Vote had pulled regarding URLs and the results of the binary edge research. According to Phillips' testimony, he did not provide the data downloaded from the Chinese server to the FBI. Rather, Mike Hassan, or Mike Hassan, subsequently transmitted the information to the FBI. Phillips also attested in an affidavit that, to the best of his knowledge, the only individuals with possession, custody, or control of the server data beyond Hassan were FBI agents Bobby Nguyen and or Kevin McKenna. Now, while Phillips testified in court documents that Hassan provided the Chinese server data to the FBI, his original attorney, since replaced, Representative Phillips had given that data to the FBI. Phillips also admits he does not remember if Hassan provided him with a copy of the China server data. Next, FBI launches investigation of Connick. That's right, children. After providing the FBI with the information on Connick and the various data, Phillips claims the FBI got engaged and almost immediately over the target. In an interview, Phillips further maintained that the FBI's interest wasn't just that we brought something in, claiming that he, presumably you, Eugene Yu, was already on their radar, but they could never pin him down with anything. Their information, Phillips said, launched an 18-month investigation. Next, Hassan, Phillips, and Engelbrecht were all confidential human sources for the FBI. Phillips claims he, Engelbrecht, and Hassan were all confidential human sources as part of the investigation, and Phillips maintains he sat in on meetings with the FBI and Hassan. While Phillips has not detailed the extent of Hassan's continued involvement with the FBI, Phillips testified the amount of data purportedly pulled from the server in China was in the 350 terabyte range and was downloaded over approximately 
three months in the first quarter of 2021. Given that the Dallas hotel meeting occurred in January, this testimony suggests Hassan worked directly with the FBI to continue to access the China server over the next two months of February and March. Next, true the vote an operational asset? Well, Phillips further maintains that from January forward, for approximately 17 or 18 months, he and Engelbrecht worked closely with the FBI, engaging with them as an operational asset and a counterintelligence operation. Phillips says they were part of the ops, being read in and traveling to meet the FBI multiple times, and he maintains he personally went to Detroit, the field office running the investigation. According to Phillips, he shared information, shared phone calls, shared text with the FBI agents. In fact, at one point, Phillips claimed that the individual running CONAC, presumably Eugene Yu, started communicating with us about the open records request, and Phillips claimed they told him, we'll happily meet with you and talk to you about it, representing that they did this all with the permission and the cooperation of the Bureau, you know, the FBI, because they had already opened up an investigation because this guy was already on their radar. Next, Engelbrecht's text messages, her text exchanges with the FBI. To support their claims of working with the FBI, Engelbrecht submitted an affidavit along with text messages she swore were exchanged with various agents, such as one received from Bruce Fowler, a special agent from Detroit, stating, Hi, Catherine, this is Bruce. Just give me a call whenever you're ready to chat. On July 7th, 2021, Engelbrecht texted Bruce saying she was glad to visit about the geospatial data that we're using to model the ballot trafficking, and other points of interest that he'd asked about. Bruce responded to the email by saying, I will contact you next week if you have time. Engelbrecht included several other text messages with Fowler, including one in which Fowler provided his FBI email address and others expressly mentioning Connick. Fowler also noted he had received three thumb drives from the San Antonio office, and asked Engelbrecht to direct him to where information could be located on those drives. Engelbrecht also provided texts showing exchanges with Hui Nguyen, his nickname Bobby Nguyen, a special agent out of the San Antonio Division. On June 17, 2021, Engelbrecht asked for the name of an agent in Georgia, and Nguyen said he would get the name, but in the meantime, you can tell them that you filed the complaint with Special Agent Hui Nguyen and Special Agent Kevin McKenna with San Antonio Division. Another March 2022 text also refers directly to Connick. A third set of text exchanges involved an individual saved in Engelbrecht's contacts as K-A-Y-K-A-Y and identified only as Christina, FBI Special Agent San Antonio. In one February exchange, Engelbrecht scheduled a time to talk with Christina to discuss whether the Atlanta Joint Task Force was able to make use of our data. They were good to go with the Michigan team, and they have access to what they needed from y'all. 
A March text also has Engelbrecht asking whether Nguyen has the data Michigan needs, as we were told by our mutual contact that the data had been queued to the top of the data set and notes sent to Bobby Nguyen and others confirming such. The text continues, please confirm, please confirm with Detroit so they can get what they need and we can hopefully shut this down before midterms. Okay, next, the FBI turns on True the Vote. Oh, boy. Then in April or May of 2022, when, according to Phillips, they remained involved in a major and mature counterintelligence operation with the FBI, Phillips claims the FBI betrayed them and blamed them for having stolen the Chinese Internet. How can you steal a Chinese Internet? How can you steal any kind of Internet? You know, we used to joke about, oh, I broke the Internet. This doesn't work that way. The government's counterintelligence operators were basically ordered to go tell the target, Eugene Yu, that we had penetrated his systems illegally. This is what Phillips is saying. According to Phillips, in mid-April, Engelbrecht received a call from somebody at the Bureau saying, hey, we got a problem. We took this up to D.C. to kind of do some final work on it before we started making this public. And the FBI then appeared to start targeting through the vote. This call came shortly before the release of 2,000 Mules, the Dinesh D'Souza film that relied on cell phone location data provided by True the Vote to claim that groups backing the Democrat Party paid so-called mules to illegally collect and deposit mail-in ballots in swing states. But then Phillips claims the FBI told him not to worry, we'll work this out, and nobody's in trouble right now. But a couple of weeks after 2,000 Mules released which would put the timing in mid to late May, Phillips claims he got a call from a senior agent at the FBI accusing him of stealing three servers on the unicorn backbone in China. Yet after a 15-minute pretty heated conversation, the agent said the Detroit FBI agents still wanted to work with him. Phillips says at that point he no longer trusted the FBI. Okay, next. True the vote goes nuclear. Then, according to Engelbrecht and Phillips, after losing trust in the FBI and the agents seemingly flipping the script on true the vote by making them an apparent target, he decided to go nuclear. Or they, they decided to go nuclear. The true the vote people. Engelbrecht and Phillips. So, on August 13th, 2022, they hosted the pit and disclosed their claims that Connick stored poll workers' personal identifying information on servers located in China. A, a post on Truth Social, Donald Trump's um, social media network, after the event succinctly summarized their claims during whatever it, this thing is called, the pit event, whatever that is. They said, Greg and Catherine stumble onto voting software used to coordinate elections, was left with default password on database. Oh, great. Their research team discovered sensitive information on election workers, etc., on server, bank account info, kids' names, social security numbers, etc. 
which they take to the FBI. Server lives in China, and feds label as national security risk and investigate, but then feds turn on Greg and Catherine, and feds now sit on active and ongoing China national security breach. They're just sitting on it, not doing a thing about it. Next. True the Vote fans the story. After first revealing their claims of working with the FBI to expose Connex purported use of a server in China to store election workers' personal identifying information, Phillips and Engelbrecht participated in several podcasts elaborating on the details they supposedly discovered. During one of those podcasts, they claimed they were working with people to bring this work to a grand jury for the first time, and that they have the support of a major prosecutorial office in the United States, and that they are moving this along. Okay, next. Connick sues True the Vote, Phillips, and Engelbrecht. Connick responded to this publicity by denying the allegations, unequivocally stating, Connick does not and has never stored any actual customer or poll worker data on any server in China. On September 12, 2022, the Michigan-based company filed suit against True the Vote, Phillips, and Engelbrecht in a Texas federal court for defamation, interference with business relations, violations of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, and several other claims. Connick also sought a temporary restraining order to halt True the Vote's release of further information and to force Phillips and Engelbrecht to to reveal how Connick's data had been breached. Judge Kenneth Hoyt, a Ronald Reagan appointee, granted Connick a temporary restraining restraining order and joining the defendants from accessing Connick's computers, disclosing information obtained from those computers, or destroying or distributing such information. The court also ordered the defendants to identify each individual and or organization involved in accessing Connect's protected computers and to confidentially disclose the Connect, confidentially disclose to Connect how, when, and by whom Connect's protected computers were accessed and to identify all persons or entities who have possession, custody, or control of any information or data from Connect's protected computers. Next, True the Vote attempts to protect confidential human source Hassan. An attorney for True the Vote, Phillips and Engelbrecht, responded to the court order by filing Mike Hassan's name as the individual who provided the server data. In a letter to the court, Phillips and Engelbrecht requested Hassan's name remain under seal. They said they understood Hassan to be integral to the FBI investigation, and that investigation may be hindered or compromised if the identity of this individual was revealed at this time to plaintiff. They also informed the court that it was providing notice to the FBI that this process is taking place so as to allow the FBI the opportunity to be heard on the sensitive issue if that is its choice. A week later, According to a text provided by Engelbrecht, she texted Bobby Nguyen, Special Agent, FBI San Antonio office, stating, 
I wanted to let you know that we took the nuclear option and went public in a very limited way, but nonetheless we did it. Connick quickly filed a civil suit against us in Houston Federal Court and got an ex parte temporary restraining order. Now, part of that temporary restraining order required that we name who we had gotten the election worker data from, same person who had provided it to you. We gave the court the name under seal. Our attorney also notified the Houston FBI office where the case was filed. I'm very concerned about everyone's safety at this point. Please do whatever possible to help ensure that this name never comes out. I can provide you with whatever you may need. Now, here's the deal, though. Bobby Nguyen did not respond to Engelbrecht's text. According to further texts provided by Engelbrecht, she also reached out to KK, saying she hoped to talk in person if possible. KK replied she was on a temporary assignment out of state until January and asked if Engelbrecht still had Nguyen's number. Engelbrecht then explained that she had called and written him, but no response. The text then explained, we have been drug into a vicious lawsuit filed against us by Connick. Our attorneys have contacted the FBI and been told that the Bureau has no interest in engaging with the court in order to maintain confidentiality. Engelbrecht added that she, Phillips, and the researcher who originally provided us the data are being doxxed and that it's a very serious situation and we've been left to hang. Yet doxing somebody's when you put all their private information out there. Next, Engelbrecht tells FBI agent they've been set up. Engelbrecht then noted, Eugene Yu has already been indicted by a grand jury and arrested, but they continue to hear chatter that the FBI is working with Connick against us and still trying to accuse us of crimes we did not commit. The True the Vote founder then noted that, quote, what Bobby said on the phone that day, April 22nd, when you were reading the yearly CI disclaimer to me, confidential informant, has gone into full overdrive. She added, I also now believe Greg and I have been set up. It's appalling, heartbreaking, and wrong. Next, FBI tosses Hassan under the bus. Later, during a hearing on September 26, 2022, Engelbrecht's attorney relayed the FBI's lack of interest in maintaining confidentiality to the Texas federal court. The true the vote attorney told the court that he had reached out to the FBI stating they needed the Bureau's backing. Their attorney explained that he had made the request to one place and the response came from a different place, to wit, that they were not interested in protection of this information. Next, Eugene Yu arrested following criminal charge in L.A. Then came news October 4, 2022. Eugene Yu had been arrested in Michigan in conjunction with criminal charges pending in California. The L.A. County District Attorney announced Yu's arrest, stating that under its $2.9 million five-year contract with the county, Connick was supposedly was supposed to secure, securely maintain the data and that only United States citizens and permanent residents have access to it. According to the press release, however, District Attorney investigators found that, in contradiction to the contract, information was stored on servers 
and the People's Republic of China. The press release noted prosecutors were working to obtain Eugene Yu's extradition to California. That same day, law enforcement officers executed a search warrant at Connick in Michigan. Next, True the Vote claims credit for Eugene Yu's arrest. After news broke of Yu's arrest, True the Vote issued a press release stating, True the Vote is honored to have played a small role in what may have been a wide-ranging and complex investigation. The organization is profoundly grateful to the L.A. District Attorney's Office for their thorough work and rapid action in this matter. Now, Phillips also claimed he testified in the grand jury in Los Angeles County that eventually indicted Mr. Yu. Next, leftist DA from L.A. distances from True the Vote. At first, the office of L.A. District Attorney George Gascone claimed Phillips played no role in the investigation that led to uh, Eugene Yu's arrest. However, he later acknowledged Phillips' report to the Public Integrity Division was the first step in a thorough, independent, and still ongoing investigation, which ultimately led to the arrest and charging of Mr. Yu. Next, Yu claims working with FBI. That's right. During a bond hearing in Michigan pending Eugene Yu's extradition to California, his attorney told the court that the charge is false and that he had an affidavit signed by Connex's director of IT attesting that there was no data stored in a Chinese server. Yu's lawyer added that his client had been meeting voluntarily with the FBI over the past month, and during one of those meetings, the director of IT told the FBI no data was stored on a Chinese server, but rather that everything has been in the U.S., either in Lansing, East Lansing, or backed up on the Microsoft cloud. Further, according to Yu's lawyer, the FBI was not conducting a criminal investigation into Connick but rather the Bureau was pursuing an investigation of a data breach outside the company. According to Yu's attorney, True the Vote hacked Connex system and then released private information about poll workers, leading Connex to sue True the Vote civilly. Next, federal court forces True the Vote to reveal Hassan's name. Two days later, October 6, 2022, Judge Hoyt held a preliminary injunction hearing in Connick versus True the Vote in a Texas federal court. Phillips and Engelbrecht's counsel said the FBI was not interested in the protection of this, administra- of this information, meaning the identity of sources helping the FBI. The court directed Phillips and Engelbrecht, through their attorney, to disclose the identity of the individual who showed them the server data, and they did, claiming it was a confidential human source named Mike Hassan. Hassan. Mike Hassan. Okay? Next, LADA forces prosecutors to pull back on claims Connick used Chinese server. Meanwhile, back in Los Angeles, where Eugene Yu had been extradited, a deputy district attorney on Friday, October 7, 2022, told Yu's California attorney that the DA's office expected to unseal the indictment against you just a few days later on Monday, October 10th. But then after several days of delay on Thursday, October 13th, the deputy prosecutor told Eugene Yu's attorney he did not intend to unseal the indictment. 
According to Yu's attorney, the deputy prosecutor indicated that on directions from his office on high, which he eventually identified as a district attorney himself, he would be filing a complaint in this matter and not unsealing the indictment. That same day, the L.A. County prosecutor charged Eugene Yu with two crimes in a criminal complaint. Count one charged Yu conspired to commit a felony. Count two charged Yu with the crime of grand theft by embezzlement of public funds. Count two alleged Yu fraudulently appropriated public funds. The alleged fraud consists of Yu entering into a contract on behalf of Connect, arguing that only contractor staff who are based in the United States and are citizens or lawful permanent residents of the United States shall have access to any county data, including personally identifiable information hosted in L.A. County's instance of the system software. The criminal complaint further alleged that from October 10, 2019 through October 4, 2022, you and other employees at Connect used third-party contractors based in China. Oh, boy. It's about to get real up in here, y'all. Next, L.A. prosecutor reveals evidence Connect transferred personal data to China contractors. The criminal complaint stated that evidence recovered during the execution of the search warrant shows Connect employees sent personal identifying information of Los Angeles County election workers to third-party software developers who assisted with the creating and fixing Connect's internal poll chief software. It also notes that a project manager for Connex contract with L.A. County confirmed via the messaging app DingTalk that any employee for Chinese contractors working on Poll Chief software had super administrative privileges for all Poll Chief clients. The L.A. County criminal complaint did not allege or charge Eugene Yu with maintaining election workers' personal information on servers in China something the DA's original press release claimed you had done, and something True the Vote had likewise claimed. The county prosecutor, however, continued to pursue criminal charges against you at that time with Deputy Prosecutor Eric Neff telling a state court judge on October 14, 2022, that Connect poses a very broad danger to the community, claiming it still uses Chinese contractors to conduct its business. Deputy Prosecutor Eric Neff added the state recovered an email sent literally the day of the search warrant being executed that the company Connect was just about to start changing their processes where personal identifiable information was not going to be sent abroad and to contractors. In L.A. alone, we're talking thousands of victims. They have contracts all over the county. Now, the, the injury to L.A. County was, was particularly acute, uh, according to Neff. That's what he stressed, because election poll workers whose personal, identif- personal information was allegedly outsourced to China in 2020 included minors. Did you know that? The deputy prosecutor said L.A. specifically reached out to high schools to ask minors if they would be willing in order to increase their sense of civic duty to work as poll workers as a one-year exception for the 2020 election. The fact is those miners' data 
is compromised for life, including in school records, representing a serious risk. Next, federal judge demands through the vote reveal identity of second confidential human source. While charges against Eugene Yu continued in California back in federal court in Texas, October 27, 2022, Phillips testified that in addition to Hassan, a third person was present in the hotel room during the January 2021 meeting in Dallas. Phillips refused to identify that individual, however, stating that he is a confidential informant for the FBI and, among other things, works on the border and will be at risk from the cartels. Engelbrecht likewise refused to name the third person present during that January meeting. Their attorney asked the presiding judge to allow a deputy DA of Los Angeles County, Mike Mark Beert, to address the court by telephone, either in camera or in a sealed courtroom, to explain that Mr. Yu, the CEO of Plaintiff Connick, is facing multiple felony charges in Los Angeles brought by the state of California, Los Angeles County. The court refused to hear from Deputy DA of L.A. County, Mark Beert, and proceeded to hold Phillips and Engelbrecht in contempt of court. He gave them until 9 a.m. Monday, October 31st, to cure the contempt by revealing the identity of the third individual and ordering them to be jailed if they refused. Next, federal court holds Phillips and Engelbrecht in contempt. October 31st, 2022, Phillips and Engelbrecht's attorney noted they were trying to track down the handling agents in San Antonio and throughout the border to see if they had an issue with a third individual being named and whether, in fact, this will compromise any agent. Stating he did not know the answer, their lawyer then asked for six hours to obtain the answer. The court refused to continue the hearing and ordered that Phillips and Engelbrecht be taken into custody. Next, Fifth Circuit orders Phillips and Engelbrecht be released from jail. That's right. Phillips and Engelbrecht were jailed for civil contempt of court for refusing to identify the third individual present in the Dallas hotel room when the purported Evidence of the Connect server were, were were reviewed. Anyway, the purported evidence was reviewed. Pardon me. They filed a petition with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals challenging their imprisonment for contempt on November 6th. November 6th, that appeals court ordered that Phillips and Engelbrecht be released from detention. So they're in jail for a week. That's just great. Next, LADA dismisses criminal case against Eugene Yu. What? Three days later, November 9th, the L.A. District Attorney moved to dismiss the criminal case against Eugene Yu, and an L.A. Superior Court judge granted the motion to dismiss without prejudice, meaning charges could be refiled. In a statement for the DA, a spokesman said, we are concerned about both the pace of the investigation and the potential bias In the presentation and investigation of the evidence, the county did indicate that it hasn't ruled out refiling the charges after reviewing the evidence, saying it would assemble a new team with significant cybersecurity experience to determine whether any criminal activity occurred. 
Next. To quote the late great Aretha Franklin, who's zooming who? At this point, the public has before it competing claims about Connex conduct, with Connex claiming it never stored election workers' data on a Chinese server and true the vote saying otherwise. While we, while we do not know who's speaking the truth, the FBI knows who's speaking the truth. The FBI knows whether in early 2021, Hassan or Phillips provided agents' data claimed to have been stored on a Chinese server. And by now, the FBI must know whether that data truly represented election workers' personal information connect stored on a Chinese server. Next, the FBI's silence is horrifying. If the data had been stored on a Chinese server, it is inexcusable that the FBI did not intervene in Connex's civil case in Texas to protect its confidential human sources, or at a minimum, to protect Hassan, who discovered the data breach and brought it to the FBI's attention. But if the data had not been stored on a Chinese server, it would be equally inexcusable for the FBI to remain silent and allow Eugene Yu's reputation to be destroyed both by Phillips and Engelbrecht's claims and by the L.A. District Attorney's Office's declaration that its investigators found that information was stored on servers in the People's Republic of China. No matter where the truth lies, the FBI's silence deserves derision. Christopher Wray should be forced to answer whether his bureau abandoned confidential human sources or sought to set them up or allowed an innocent American citizen, Eugene Yu, to be branded a criminal and a traitor. Next, election workers' data appears compromised. The scandal extends beyond this question, however, because in charging Eugene Yu in a criminal complaint, the L.A. County D.A. presented evidence indicating that, at a minimum, Connick transferred the private data of election workers, including minors, to subcontractors working in China and that any employee for Chinese contractors working on poll chief software had super administrative privileges for all poll chief clients. Now, while this data, while this data transfer differs from what True the Vote and the L.A. District Attorney originally accused Connick of doing, namely maintaining the data on a Chinese server, this evidence nonetheless suggests hundreds of thousands of election workers' personal data has been compromised. But with the cases now focused more on true the vote than a connect, it seems likely the public, and especially those people whose personal information was at risk, will never learn the truth. This scenario is unacceptable, yet our country seems content to acquiesce. FBI malfeasance. Wow. That is Margot Cleveland, senior legal correspondent over the Federalist. And her article is entitled, In This Untold Story of Poll Worker Data, Chinese Servers and Scandal, Only the FBI Knows the Truth. Wow, y'all. That's, uh, that's strong right there. It really is. All right, let me uh, let me recognize where we are. Let me recognize what time of day it is in this ongoing show. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to say, "Hit it, Brian!" 
We interrupt this program to bring a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And it's brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Okay. Today's tweet of the day. Let's take a look at this. Let's do the one from Murray Rothbard, who says, for those keeping track at home, news after the midterms. First of all, Hunter Biden's laptop is real. Second of all, FDA backtracked on ivermectin. Third, student loan forgiveness is not lawful. Fourth, Trump never had nuclear documents at Mar-a-Lago. Fifth, feds had loads of informants in the Oath Keepers before January 6th. And last but not least, sixth, the FTX fraud implodes. Timing. Interesting timing, isn't it? It's Murray Rothbard with today's Tweet of the Day, brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Thank you so much, Mitch Ward. Appreciate you, brother. You've been listening to Episode 286 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck, send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor, of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth. And that's the way it is. Monday, November twenty first, twenty twenty two.